Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, December 16th, 2010. Looking forward to my uh, little mini vacation. Not that I don't love you all, I do. I enjoy being able to serve you on a day-to-day basis here on the radio. And I'm looking forward to a little bit of time off, some rest and relaxation with my family for the holiday. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And uh, I I have found that I have a skill, a a particular gift, if you would. Uh, I seem to uh, step on people's toes and uh, have a tendency to upset them. (laughs) It's just like an occupation. I'm not trying to do it. It's just that, uh, you know, I, I'm calling it the way I see it. And as a result of it, some people, sacred cows, find themselves being, well, mercilessly, brutally slaughtered here at Fighting for the Faith. And people don't like it when their cows get slaughtered. But the thing is, is that keep in mind, when it comes to critiquing theology, I am slaughtering their sacred cow, not slaughtering the person. Now, you see that the big difference you want to keep those two separate, you know. I, I'm not waging jihad here. And uh, <sighs> although some of the emails I get from uh, <clears throat> the people I upset, they seem to think that the jihad is the uh, thing that is called for <sighs> in their response for me. Anyway, yeah, I'm just I'm off on a tangent here already. I mean, starting off the program today, lots of snow, lots of snow overnight here in. Um, Central Indiana. Uh, yeah, and I know some of you who you know who live in Michigan or you live next to the Great Lakes. You know when you find out that we had five inches of snow, you're gonna sit there and go, five inches? That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. By California standards, five inches is a huge amount of uh, snow. And you know and this was on top of the uh, you know almost. Uh, I mean, what we had. We had four or five inches already on the ground. So in some parts of my yard, depending on where the snow dunes have uh, have been blown to, uh, it's it's deeper than a foot or more in certain parts of my yard. So, yeah, what happens is is that when these uh, low pressure systems come blowing through the um, the uh, Great Plains, the uh, Middle West of uh, the Midwest of the United States, the back end of those um, low pressure systems 
Hunelli. They have some major wins associated with it. And so what happens is is that, you know, you get the snow. It falls on the ground. It looks beautiful. It's absolutely amazing. I When you think about the fact that um, another tan- – I'm tangenting my tangent. So work with me. I'll, I'll work back. I promise. But uh, when you think about the fact that the, it, the Scripture makes it clear that the blood of Christ makes us white as the snow – um, when I was out shoveling today, um, digging out, um, it, it just, I mean, it was so serene. It was so peaceful. It was so quiet. It was so beautiful. It was so bright. And I mean, wow, you sit there and you go, I mean, talk about, it, you know, stepping outside into an object lesson, you know, it, it talk, you know, I'm thinking, man, this is what the blood of Christ does with my sins completely covers them in the brilliant, dazzling, white righteousness of Christ. And so, you know, I was thinking religious thoughts while I was shoveling the snow today. Uh, But um, anyway, so so what happens is, coming back to my tangent, I was tangenting my tangent, but coming back to the tangent, uh, the wind blows and you get these snow dunes. Uh, And uh, so there's some parts of my yard uh, where um, the snow ain't so ain't so thick, you can actually see patches of grass. And then there's other parts where, I mean, you know, if I were to throw um, <clears throat> our dog Max, who's a tiny dog, anyway, if you were to, if I were to throw him into one of the snow dunes, he'd disappear. And um, although you know that does sound tempting, no. <laughs> anyway, it, it, uh, it, so. Uh, just I I've spent some time today shoveling and um and you know it I I like shoveling snow far more than I like mowing my lawn. You know what? In order to uh, shovel the snow, I put my snow boots on. I put my thermal underwear on. I um, you know I put a jacket on. I have gloves and a, and a cap and you know and a jacket and, and I get out there and I and I shovel the snow. You know. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm, I was doing that today, and I'm going, this is so much better than mowing the lawn. Because uh, here's the deal. In, in, in Indiana, in, it, during the summer times, we have, well, humidity. And, uh, and so there's only certain hours of the day when, well, being an underweight fat guy, uh, when, well, there's only certain times during the day when I can mow the lawn comfortably. Otherwise... Um, if I were to pick the wrong time of the day, especially in you know a hot, humid uh, stretch, I I'd get outside and I would you would know it wouldn't be pretty. No, it just no no it wouldn't be pretty. I yeah, you just <sighs> lots and lots and lots of perspiration, and um, yeah, that just doesn't. Uh, no no no. You know, wearing a t-shirt completely filled with perspiration just yeah no it doesn't look good. The only thing worse than that is putting me in a wetsuit, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. Sorry, I didn't mean to give those visuals to you. <laughs> anyway. All right. What are we going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith? I, I got to tell you, after um, after the cadre of bizarreness that we have uh, reviewed here at, at Fighting for the Faith... I've got to tell you, right off the bat, I am going to want to do uh, a good sermon today. I, I I can't do a bad one, and the reason why is because I can't take it. 
And uh, <laughs> between Bill Johnson, Patricia King, uh, Mike Bickle, and uh, Keith Kraft, I, uh, it just my I'm shot. It's just yeah. Uh, oh man! And the fact that people think that this is uh, Christianity is just crazy, unbelievable. I mean, wow. Uh, so, and apparently I've um, <clears throat> cheesed off a few people in the KJV only crowd after taking Steven Anderson on. <laughs> you should see the emails I'm getting. Whoo, Nelly! <laughs> yeah, there's nothing worse than KJV only uh, judgmentalism. You know, when they when they let loose with their thunderbolts, you know. They do it with these and thous, and apparently I'm calling down. The, the people are calling down all kinds of judgments upon me using these and thous, and as a result of what I said. I, I mean, seriously, I, I barely scratched the surface with Steven Anderson, and uh, I mean, <laughs> makes me think, hmm, I might have to go after him just a smidge more, you know. Anyway. So I, I got it. I have email today. I've got an uh, pr- uh, audience participation uh, thing that I put out yesterday, and uh, I, I asked the question. Uh, let's see. I sent out a f- uh, a Facebook notification and a, and a Twitter tweet, and you know, linking to a press release uh, for the Almighty Bible, and asked the question: Is there in- anything inherently evil with this? You know, apparently, uh, there's some folks that are getting ready to publish. Um, a graphic novel version of the book of Exodus. It's not the whole Bible, but the the uh, the, the name of the series is the Almighty Bible. And so I, I solicited your feedback, and we're gonna I'm gonna read some of that feedback today. Wanted to do it yesterday, but uh, just wasn't able to work that in. So we got that. Um, hopefully, we can get to this piece from Al Muller, this news story from the UK that I've been sitting on the whole week. And um, and then uh, when we get to hour number two, I'm going to be doing a Bill Swirla twin spin today. I'm going to be playing in reverse order the last two sermons that he's preached for the season of Advent. And um, as a result of it, you know, I, you're thinking, well, can you do that backwards? Yes, I, I I'm making an executive decision. <laughs> It's an executive radio decision. I'm playing them in reverse order, so you're getting Advent two and adv- and then Advent one. And I know this sounds like heresy. I, some of you are going ring. I can hear the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth out there. Just get over it. They're great sermons, and you'll you'll enjoy them. And I think when you when you hear the sermons, you'll understand why I played them in reverse order. And so, and then tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith is a. Um, <clears throat> Is a Friday light on Friday, and then Monday will be my last normal uh, program uh, before Christmas, and then I come back a couple of days after Christmas, and so I'll be gone for just uh, a week and a day, and uh, you know at least I'll be off the air, and uh, I will not, uh, <laughs> I. I I will be tuning into my Facebook page just to clean things up a little bit. I might be posting a few things here and there, but I'm I'm, I'm trying to unplug a little bit and uh, <clears throat> enjoy. Yeah, I, so basically, I'll unplug a little bit on Facebook just, and I'll tune in just to make sure that things don't go nuts there. You know, you know, Kimblegate two strikes while I'm on Christmas vacation. That would be awkward. 
So I, I got I'll, I'll tune in a couple of times a day to make sure that no one that ain't nobody misbehaving. So I you know I gotta do that anyway. So that's what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. It's going to be a fine program, a little bit more relaxing, some good gospel preaching today too. Man, is this good stuff that we're going to hear today? And uh, and so you know, find a place to relax. Kick up your feet, fuzzy bunny slippers, enhance your listener experience. If you have them, please put them on, especially if you're in a cold weather climate. And if you're not, like if you're in South Africa uh, or you're listening in uh, Australia or New Zealand, probably not a good idea to put on the fuzzy bunny slippers unless you have like the, the kind of fuzzy bunny slippers where you have open toes. I haven't really seen those, but I'm sure that that would be a <clears throat> fine thing to make. So with that, we're going to dive into the program. All right, I have an email from Crystal in Indianapolis, Indiana. And this is regarding Stephen Anderson. If you uh, if you follow me on Facebook, if you've you know, actually taken the time to be my friend on Facebook, then uh, you'll know that um, my uh, daughter-in-law's uh, father has posted a few videos. <laughs> oh man, from Stephen Anderson. Good night. This guy is Looney Tunes. Anyway, uh, Crystal writes. She says, "Dear Chris, thank you for your piece on Steve on Stephen Anderson. He is one of the most extreme examples of the KJV only movement. And your segment showed just how uh, just how just a few minutes of critical thinking can tear down this kind of false argument. Exactly. It, yeah. And by the way, Crystal, just want to let you know. I, I mentioned this earlier in the program." There's a few <laughs> there's a few KJV only folk out there who've uh, who've decided to rally the troops to Stephen Anderson's cause. Oh man, the emails are a hoot. They are a scream. <laughs> oh man, and this is and you know, the funny thing is is you, you it's almost like you can't. You can't even reason with these folks. They they suffer from um, completely undefeatable ignorance, and uh, you. Can't... <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, the conclusions they draw are so wild and crazy that you know. Anyway, so I I, I do want you to know, Crystal, that um, Stephen Anderson is very well loved in the um, KJV only circles. Very well loved, and uh, even the mild um um critique that i gave of him has uh, has um, well i'm apparently i'm going to hell i mean and uh, one of them they accused me of being a papist and uh, one of them asked if i was a jesuit <laughs> i mean seriously what <laughs> it's like what <laughs> a jesuit me? Oh, good night. It, you know, you, and you, how do you explain to somebody you know that you know, who makes these wild accusations that you know asking the question if you're a Jesuit? How do you explain to them? Uh, listen, um, you need to go back and you actually need to study some theology because if you understand Jesuit theology and what the Jesuits were were and are about and what Lutherans are all about, then you would realize that. Yeah, we're not friends. Yeah, 
Jesuits and Lutherans. Yeah, they're not friends because the Jesuits are waging jihad against... Yeah. Yeah, so no, I... It always cracks me up. And and what what's the what's the proof that I am a Jesuit? Are you ready? The pr- <laughs> the proof that I'm a Jesuit is is that the pirate Christian logo has the Cairo flag, and uh, you know Cairo is um it's an ancient ancient symbol. But apparently, well, the Pope uses the Cairo, so that means that I'm a Jesuit and a Papist. <laughs> Did you know that the Pope also uses a cross? Yeah, it's true. Roman Catholicism, get this, they believe in the Trinity. Yeah, so if you believe in the Trinity, well, then you're a Catholic. You're, you're, a, you're a Roman Catholic papist. Yeah, it's true. And if you actually you know use the cross, the symbol of the cross, well, because Roman Catholicism uses the symbol of the cross, well, then, um, that, well, that makes you a Roman Catholic. You, see, that makes you a papist. Yeah, and did you know that uh, Roman Catholics baptize people? It's true, they do. And so if you, if you actually baptize people in your church because the Roman Catholics uh, baptize people, well, that means you're Roman Catholic. <laughs> I mean, that's, I kid you not, that is the exact type of argumentation that I'm running into from those who are coming out of the woodwork to defend Steven Anderson. I mean, how do you, you, you can't, you can't reason with that. I mean, <sighs> yes, I'm a Jesuit because I fly the Cairo flag and so does, and the Pope uses the Cairo's. You know, the, the Cairo goes back to, you know, what's a th- second, third century Christianity. It's the two, two letters, the, the, Jesus Christus, uh, 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 Jesus Christ, Christ, uh, you know, Cairo, uh, Iota, uh, Sigma, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? The first two letters of Christ, Cairo, you just trans, you put them over each other, and that becomes a symbol of Jesus Christ. And that's what the pirate Christian Cairo is all about, where it, it's all about Christ. That's why we have the symbol of Christ on our logo and flag. Yes, but, you know... You know, did you know that the uh, Roman Catholics, they use the Bible? It's true. They actually read the Bible. And so, therefore, if you read the Bible, that means you're a Roman Catholic. <sighs> okay, coming back to Crystal's email. I'm getting all of this off my chest because the emails have been just, I mean, you read the arguments coming in from these people who are angry at me in the KJV only crowd for taking on Stephen Anderson. It's just the craziest arguments. <sighs> anyway, it's. It, it, you know, by the way, you know Roman Catholics, they take communion. That's true. Uh, so if your church takes communion, well, that means you're Roman Catholic. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Crystal says I wanted to encourage you and uh, and your listeners to pray for Mr. Anderson and others in the KJV only independent fundamentalist Baptist movement. Crystal, great point. Yes, we need to stop and pray. For those who are caught up in the KJV only independent fundamentalist Baptist movement, we do need to pray for them because they are suffering from a severe form of uh, deception and delusion. Anyway, this is the type of religious culture that I grew up in. This culture is a perfect example of what happens when the gospel is regarded as something that is only for unbelievers. Although most IFB, that would be independent fundamentalist Baptist churches, believe in salvation by grace alone, 
and the perseverance of the saints, or say they do. Many times people who attend these churches are hearing sermons every week about the right Bible translation to use, or why women shouldn't wear pants, or why rock music is from Satan. They aren't hearing law and gospel, just law. And it isn't even biblical law. That's right, it's just completely made up, discombobulated rules of men. This leaves many Christians unsure of their salvation and looking for ways to assure themselves that they are saved. They think that if they read the right Bible, wear the right clothes, go to the right Bible college, and don't go to the movies, they will get that assurance. By the way, when I went to um, – this is a tangent off of your thing. I was thinking about this. Um, I, I, I When I went to uh, the leadership conference recently, the re- leadership conference over at Perry Noble's church in Anderson – South Carolina. Um, I stayed. I stayed in Greenville, uh, Greenville, Green, Greenville, South Carolina. And um, and what I you know when I travel, um, you know I like to exercise. And it was during you know it was it was late summer, early fall. And um, I I brought my um, my disc golf bag with me. And I and there was I found a gorgeous gorgeous uh, uh, disc golf uh, course there in Greenville. And it's over by uh, is it Bob Jones University? I, I think that's what it was. And uh, I actually drove by that place. That was the first college that I have ever seen that looks like a prison. I'm not kidding. They have these really really high walls and barbed wire, and um, it it looks like once you're in there, it's like you become an inmate. And um, I think that's part of this culture. Anyway. That, most college campi that I have seen, they, uh, I mean, they're open. It's an it's an academic place where people can, you know, wander through the lush green, uh, manicured uh, grounds and think high thoughts as they travel from class to class. But it, it, it it's Bob Jones University in in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. You know, I I I'm pretty sure that uh, based upon the exterior, I I didn't go and you know I I you can't get in. Um, yeah, you know, but, um, I'm based on the exterior. I'm sure that people are, um, go from class to class, uh, with, um, armed security, you know, <clears throat> rifles pointed at them to make sure they don't jump the fence or something like that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> a little commentary from Roseboro. Anyway, coming back to the letter, they think if they read the right Bible, wear the right clothes, go to the right Bible college, and don't go to the movies, they will get that assurance. Yeah, there's no assurance there because the law doesn't assure you. I can say from my own experience that this doesn't work. It only makes your sinfulness more evident and causes you to even more despair. Yep. It's heartbreaking to look at your life and see that you are doing everything, quote, right, but still fall short. Exactly. That's what the law is supposed to do, Crystal. Again, Stephen Anderson is an extreme example of the IFB movement. There are many people involved in this culture who are true Christians that love the Lord, but they have gotten caught up in legalism. Now, Crystal, I'm going to pause right there, and I'm going to, I want to take issue with something that you're saying here. You say, here's what you say. There are many people involved in this culture who are true Christians that love the Lord, but they have gotten caught up in legalism. We've got, if, if the book of Galatians is any indicator as to just how serious legalism is, then this, it, 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 literally it should put the fear of hell in us for those people. Okay, Legalism is not something that the Bible... Um, treats with kit gloves 
It's not. The Bible, you know, the Holy Spirit, through the writings of the Apostle Paul, take legalism on in in a very, very abrupt, in-your-face manner. Look at the way, you know, and that's what that was what was going on in the Galatian churches. So when you read Paul's letter to the Galatians, you had the Judaizers coming in who were mixing in the law and the, the true Mosaic law, not this 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 other stuff that the IFB folks are mixing in, but the true Mosaic law. And uh and Paul writes very harshly, very sternly, very in your face. He doesn't even give he he's not kind in any way, shape, or form to the legalists. It's very interesting to look at how what happens. You look at the Corinthian churches, I mean, where everything was going wrong. I mean, they were abusing the Lord's Supper and getting drunk during communion. There was a guy sleeping with his dad's wife. There, I mean, it was, I mean, they weren't practicing the gifts of the Spirit in any coherent manner. Chaos was reigning supreme. And yet Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he calls them brothers. Then you look at the letter he wrote to the Galatian churches. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, that's the kind of term that he uses. You know, and then he says, even if I, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be eternally condemned. As I said before, let me say it again. Anyone preaching to you a gospel other than the one you already see, received, let him be anathema, eternally damned, in your face. And so legalism is a very, very serious, serious heresy. And yes, there, more than likely, there are people who are caught up in all of this, who trust in Christ and believe in him for their salvation. This is, well, a felicitous inconsistency. And what I mean by that is is that those who are truly Christians who are caught up in this kind of legalism, it's literally because they're, they're not consistent with what they're being taught. But we need to take these guys on, and we have to confront them with the law and the gospel, because they think they're keeping the law. They're not even close. I mean, seriously. And not only that, over the oh man, over the past couple of years, I've there have been folks who have contacted me um privately who've come out of this movement and the stories that I am hearing of how women are treated in this movement would just absolutely make your blood boil. Absolutely make your blood screaming boil. I'll give you I'll give you one example. I had a gal contact me a while ago. And um this is the culture she grew up in. And she really wanted to to you know to know God and what happened is is that um she was raped by one of the deacons in her church. She was raped. And she was the one who was held responsible for the rape. She was told that it was her fault because she was wearing clothing that was too tightly fitting. And as a result of, you know, them blaming her for her own rape, she was forced to not only apologize to her rapist, 
but also apologize to her rapist's wife. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. So this type of legalism, this constant emphasis on the law, what it actually does, rather than making people holy, it actually creates some very, very sick perversions. Because all you're doing is focusing on the law. And what has Paul said? The law, the law is what you know creates, many times, the ideas in our own mind. Especially if that's all you're preaching. Anyway, so coming back to your your point here is is that yes, there are people who are caught up in legalism, but legalism is not as is is a very serious and dangerous thing. Crystal concludes. She says, "My experiences growing up were not all bad, and I'm thankful that my upbringing was a Christian one. But I can't explain to you how free I felt when I heard and believed the gospel. Christ crucified for my sins." When I finally realized that my position in Christ had nothing to do with the Bible that I read or whether or not I was wearing a skirt instead of pants, well, Christ said it best. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Crystal, thank you for that great email. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. 
You think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Well, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, legalism undoes the gospel. Read the book of Galatians. It's a different gospel altogether. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially, and that's what we need. We need partners. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute every month a mere $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And uh, you're thinking, that's not a lot of money. I know it's not a lot of money, but that was the whole idea behind it is, is that the 
it's a small amount of money spread across a lot of people so that what it does is it levels out our monthly giving. It makes it so that it takes out a lot of the peaks and the valleys so that uh, we can budget properly for our expenses and stuff like that. And if you don't already support us, um, then I would ask you to to, to change that. The, and the reason why is because if you're benefiting from the program, if you're learning from it, and you're learning proper discernment, uh, how to handle God's Word correctly, proper distinction of law and gospel, and you're having a little bit of fun along the way, uh, then then you are enjoying uh, and, and benefiting from the program. And we need your financial support to keep doing this so that we can continue bringing the program to you as well as to others. Now, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can specify the amount that you would like to contribute by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, uh, let's do a little bit of news here. I want to get to the uh, audience participation part, but let me start with this. From the Christian Post, a headline reads, UK street preacher wins wrongful arrest case. Ah, London, a street preacher has been awarded more than $6,000 in damages after a judge ruled that it was wrong for police to arrest and handcuffed him for speaking out against homosexuality. Woohoo! All right. Thank you, Lord. Now, Anthony Rollins, who suffers from Asperger's syndrome, was preaching in Birmingham City Center in June of 2008 when a member of the public, John Edwards, took offense at comments that he had made describing homosexual conduct as morally wrong. According to the Christian Institute, who's ba- who, which backed Rollins's case, police arrived on the scene after receiving a call from Edwards, and uh, PC Adrian Bill proceeded to handcuff uh, Rollins without any further inquiry. Birmingham County Court ruled on Wednesday that PC Bill had had committed assault and battery against Rollins by handcuffing him unnecessarily. Judge Lance Ashworth, uh, QC, said in his ruling on Wednesday that the arrest demonstrated a lack of thoughtfulness. PC Bill, the uh, judge ruled, had made the arrest as a matter of routine without any thought being given to Rollins' con- rights, which pertain to free speech and religious liberty. After his arrest, Rollins was taken by PC Bill to the station where he was held for three hours but never questioned for his account of events. He was charged with breaching Section 5 of the Public Order Act, but the charges were dropped before the case came to trial. Rollins decided to sue West uh, Midlands Police after a complaint he made uh, to the Independent Police Complaints Commission about his treatment was rejected. His claims of wrongful arrest, unlawful imprisonment, assault and battery, and the infringement of his human rights were upheld by the court on Wednesday. Testifying in court, Rollins said that he had felt shocked and very humiliated when the police marched him away in handcuffs. He said that when he had tried to speak to PC Bill after his arrest, he was told to shut up. Mike Judge of the Christian Institute said, quote, Street preachers may not be everyone's cup of tea, but it is part of our Christian heritage. Most people just walk on by and ignore it. The police have no business arresting Christians for quoting the Bible. Quote, whether you agree with Rollins' beliefs or not, surely we all value free speech. Christians are tired of being put on trial for their beliefs. There's clearly a problem with the Public Order Act, and it needs fixing. Section 5 of the Public Order Act makes it an offense to use threatening or abusive or insulting words. 
uh, or behavior in a way that could harm or distress another person. Yeah, you wouldn't want to distress somebody. That's a crime nowadays, apparently, in the U.K., uh, the, the law has led to the arrest of several Christians over comments that they've made expressing their religious belief. Uh, last year, Christian hotel owners Ben and Sharon Volgenzang were brought before the courts after they insulted a Muslim guest during a conversation in which they expressed their concerns about the status of Islamic women. They were eventually found not guilty of a religiously aggravated public order offense. Earlier in the year, Christian street preacher Dale McAlpine was arrested after telling a community police officer that he believed homosexuality to be a sin. The charges were later dropped. The Christian Institute is calling upon the government to repeal the word insulting from Section 5 of the Public Order Act when the Freedom Bill passes through Parliament in the coming months. Writing on the conservative home website this week, Judge said removing insulting from the law would not interfere with the police's ability to deal with genuine public disorder. Quote, free speech is a bedrock principle of any true democracy. That freedom is worthless unless it encompasses the dissenting opinion, the awkward belief, and the uncomfortable truth, he said. This freedom doesn't just protect the speaker. It ensures that you and I and everyone has the freedom to hear, the freedom to listen, the freedom to weigh up competing ideas for ourselves. If anyone feels insulted and distressed by that, sorry, but that's the price of living in a free society. Great news from the UK. Hopefully they'll be able to get the word insulting taken out of that uh, that act in the uh, future. Okay, now switching gears here. Yesterday I sent out a Twitter tweet. I still hate that word. And I sent out a Facebook status asking for your participation, asking for your opinion. And uh, the uh, opinion that I was, you know, basically what I did is I linked to a ChristianNewsWire.com press release that was put out, uh, what day was this, on the 14th of December. And uh, the name of the uh, piece is, This Isn't Your Forefather's Bible. This is kind of a provocative uh, title for a, a basically a press release and it's advertising you know or marketing the forthcoming book entitled the almighty bible and it's it's basically well let me read the story the almighty bible multimedia book series brings essential books from the bible to life in a way that connects with the media driven youth of today using graphic novels the which is the fastest growing book format for young people and mobile apps, the stories are presented in a way never before possible. Exodus is the, in, is the second book in the series that is enthusiastically endorsed by an advisory board filled with respected youth ministers, leading educators, and even the producers of the X-Men. Quote, the visuals are intriguing and enhance the written story. I look forward to the next ones, especially on my iPad, says Ralph Winter, the producer of the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and Star Trek. The dramatic illustrated layouts, supported by a story directed, uh, directly edited from the original Exodus, the readers and players go on a journey with Moses. This famous man grows up from the reeds of a river to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, only, however, by acting as the hand of God. In Exodus, 
Uh, Young readers will witness God's selection of Moses, the devastation caused by the plagues, the Passover, and the crossing of the Red Sea. The books have been sold into many of the top Christian bookstores in America, such as Mardell and Family. The Exodus book will hit shelves just in time for that last Christmas gift or stocking stuffer, and they are available now on Amazon. The Almighty Bible series is edited by Kevin O'Donnell, creator and co-producer of PBS's multiple Emmy-nominated Liberties Kids and executive produced by Dong Chung, co-executive producer and special DVD Adventures in Odyssey. The Almighty Bible uh, books and mobile apps are published by the Apple of the Eye. Okay, so... You, you got all that, and then it goes to a website that, you know, thealmightybible.com. And so there are some um, who are have basically, even before this has come out, have basically judged this to be horrible. Now, I haven't seen it. So, I, I you know, I don't have a copy of it. I don't have a pre-release copy. I couldn't tell you how faithful the stories are to the actual biblical text. And it, I, it's clear that the, the that these folks are not going to be able to put the book of Leviticus into graphic novel format. Otherwise, <laughs> we all go, Ew. yeah, especially when we get to the sacrificing of the animals. That would be fun to see, wouldn't it? Anyway, so I, I put the question out there because, you know, there, there's been some backlash, some negative words, you know, and strong opinions opining regarding this particular graphic novel, okay? And so I put out, basically, my uh, my status and tweet said, here's an audience participation question. Is there anything inherently wrong with this Bible? Why or why not? And then I put a link up to it, okay? And uh, and so I, I, on my Facebook wall, there was, well, uh, let's just say a, a large amount of um, a substantial amount of feedback that uh, came in on my Facebook wall. And so I want to read to you some of your guys's comments, you know, and, and your argumentation as to why or why not this is inherently evil as, you know, there's the something seriously wrong with this. So here we go. Okay, Mike writes, he says, tough one. I I like that it might get younger kids and maybe tweens and teens interested in Scripture, but I wonder if it will be as accurate as it claims and hope it won't confuse what the original languages say. Okay. Jason writes, he says, there may be a way to do something similar to this rightly, but this isn't it. First problem I noticed was that they included only essential books. Okay, well, Jason, how do you illustrate do you want an illustrated book of Deuteronomy? Yeah. How would you illustrate Romans? You know, I'm just asking the question here. Okay, he says. Um, for okay, that uh, I know they only included essential books. Aren't they all essential? Second problem, they got their thumbs up from a trusted advisory board that included respected youth pastors. <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit of an oxymoron, haha, <laughs> and a producer from the movie X-Men. Seriously, I would say that given the sources of those who are approving it, I would have to give it two thumbs down and then toss it out. Okay. Nicholas writes, he says, well, nothing is inherently wrong with the Bible. It's the inerrant word of God. Martin writes, it isn't a Bible. It's a graphic novel with stuff taken from Exodus, but it's not God's word, not translated from the Greek and the Hebrew text. And I wonder whether this advisory board of X-Men producers and educators will tamper with the story of Exodus to make it hip and relevant. Now, see, that's a good question. 
Now, Martin, I, I want to point something out here. You, you're right. This is this is not a Bible, okay? Even though it's called the Almighty Bible, it's not. You're right. It's a graphic novel that is a depiction of you know, an artistic depiction of the Book of Exodus, and uh, and so in in that matter, your concern as to whether or not it's um, there's going to be liberties taken with the text. It's a good question. That's a good question. Thomas writes, he says, well, I have no problem with doing stories from the Bible in this type of format, but it should be clearly labeled historical fiction to avoid people twisting the scripture by using it as an inspired text. Take the Bible out of the title. Uh, We are teaching our kids principles of hermeneutics and cannot help but think that this work may confuse many. Okay. Brad writes, if it contains the whole text and not snippets and they use a good translation, I really don't see the problem with it. Um, Andrew writes, he says, that looks like something a kid can read after he or she has been reading the story. I personally don't see the need as I was raised on the KJV in the 1990s. And whatever I didn't understand, I asked my grandma about. But hey, I'm just going off on a tangent now. Yes, you were, Andrew. Thank you for admitting it. Uh, Confession's good for the soul, by the way. Absolvete. Let's see here. Camillo writes, he says, Faith comes by hearing, not seeing, and hearing through the word of Christ, not graphic novels. Andrew Deloach, uh, who has a radio program on Pirate Christian Radio uh, called Take the Stand, fantastic radio program on apologetics. If you do not listen to this program, you might want to... uh, Consider adding this into your downloads for your podcasting. Um, Andrew Delotrice, he says, As a Bible, yes, it has it has ceased to be God's Word and instead is almost a hyper-paraphrase far, far, far beyond something like the message. If this can be called a Bible, then there really isn't anything preventing DeMille's uh, movie The Ten Commandments from being called the same. But as a teaching tool, it may have some worth. Okay. Let's see here. Um, I want to see if I can find some more here. Um, uh, Christine Pack uh, of the Sola Sisters writes, she says, from their website, the Almighty Bible is edited down from the word English Bible translation. I don't know anything, I don't know about anyone else, but I, I get a little nervous when people start editing the Bible. Good point. Um, let's see here. Um, well, for the sake of time, let me kind of, wrap this up. I, those of you who gave more, um, who gave, you know, there's many more of you who left comments to this effect uh, talking about this. And, uh, but there's one in particular that I wanted to point out, and that is uh, a Scott Kingsolver's um, comment. And um, Scott Kingsolver, we, remember we interviewed him uh, not, it was a year ago? Man, this is a kid who was, uh, uh, who wanted me to review a sermon of his, and uh, he preached it at a Methodist church, and he he ended up later losing his job. I don't know if it was because of his preaching, but uh, and then he uh, did an internship at another church. He's between churches. I, I'm thinking about having him back on the program. He contacted me via email just today and asked if I'd be interested in doing a follow-up interview with him, and I might just do that. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to it on Monday or not, but uh, I may be able to get to it when I get back from the uh, my my mini vacation. But Scott Kingsolver, he sent a Twitter tweet to me, and uh, he was kind of the first guy to kind of point out the obvious. And uh, what I mean by that is is that um, here's what he said. He he pointed he gave me a he gave me a link to a book. Uh, that was that was 
published that was similar to it called the Action Bible, which came out, you know, a few years ago, which does look like a, a, a graphic novel. But Scott says, he says, you know, it's similar to this book, the Action Bible, but I'm not sure if it's inherently bad since I don't know how it's all presented. Because I don't know how it's all presented. Scott, you get an A+. And I'll tell you why you get an A+. This goes back to the basic principle of you can't judge a book by its cover. Now, the cover is, um, well, the Almighty Bible? Okay. But the reality is is that because the book hasn't been released yet, and I I don't have a copy of it in my hand, I can't tell whether it's inherently evil or if it's, um, well, if it's something that may be used as a tool for reaching youth who who are more visual learners. Now, work with me for a minute here. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my story. You don't like talking about yourself. I know I don't, but let me tell you a little bit about my story. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a really young kid, and I, we're talking like kindergarten young kid, okay? My parents divorced uh, when I was, what, three years old? And um, my mom, she was a single mom for a few years. And uh, we had a really gross, we were living in a really poverty-stricken part of West Covina, in, uh, you know, which is near Baldwin Park in Southern California, not the best part of town. And we were in a pretty pitsy apartment, which was about the only thing my mom could afford at the time. And, um, and you know, I remember this, uh, I, I, I still visually see this apartment in my head. I mean, down to the green shag carpet. I mean, you know, think avocado 70s green kind of carpet. And um, uh, it was a two-bedroom dealie, not the best of things. But anyway, m- my mom, even though she had been excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church because of her divorce... She kept a copy of her Roman Catholic Bible, and uh, she it, she kept it in an odd place, in, in in a place where I could actually get to it. And I remember as a kid, before I knew how to read, before I could read, I would, well, when my mom was gone, I would steal her Bible. And I would flip through the pages so that I can look at the pictures. And, you know, I, I, it, I was fascinated by what I saw. Fascinated and drawn into it. I wanted to know what the stories were that went around the pictures. You, you remember when you were a kid? Remember when you were a child and you really didn't like reading books that were all words and you looked forward to looking at the pictures? One of the things I did a long time ago, not a long time ago, a few years ago, um, somebody had scanned in the illustrations that were that went along with one of the publishings of uh, of Luther's Bible when Luther translated the Bible from you know the original languages into German. Uh, one you know one of the you know premier editions during you know during the medieval period 
had these amazing illustrations that were with it. And so, do you remember the days when Bibles had illustrations in them, paintings, pictures, graphically depicting what was written in the pages? When I was a kid, before I could read, I was drawn to the photographs. It helped me to visually see the stories, even though I didn't know orally what they sounded like. And one in particular still is burned into my memory. And that is is that in my mom's Roman Catholic Bible, the uh, depiction of Jesus being crucified between two thieves, that, that, if I, I if I were walking through an art gallery, by the way, I don't think this is high art. But if I were walking through an art gallery and I saw that, I would know. I would be able to pick it out, you know, in a lineup because I studied that photograph. I studied that picture. I studied that painting, that illustration, and kept coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to it. And so. Let me say this, without having seen this graphic novel, I can't tell you whether it's inherently evil or not, whether they've taken great liberty with the text or tried to faithfully depict the uh, the biblical story in in a graphic novel format. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. And keep in mind, there's different types of learners out there. There's visual learners, there's people who learn by hearing. There's people who learn by touching and tasting and feeling and doing. And so there's different types of learners. And so um, as long as people don't use this as a, a Bible that they are studying as if it's this, that they're really learning the text, but if it's a supplement to help the visual learners see what happened, to see what took place, there may be some merit to it. Do you remember the days when churches had stained glass windows? Is that much different than this? The stained I I love old cathedrals with stained glass windows because they all tell a story. Each window tells a story. And for our children, sometimes seeing the story depicted is the thing that they're drawn to because your job as your as their parent is to catechize them in the Christian faith and to teach them the faith. And some of your kids are highly, highly drawn to image and and uh, and picture. Some of them are more oral learners, and so it, I just I say that having not seen it, let's not say that it's inherently evil without having actually cracked open a you know even one copy of it and yeah i'm not impressed by the fact the x-men like it or the x-men producer likes it and i'm not impressed that a whole bunch of youth pastors like it but i will say this having visited the website and taken a look at it and seeing what they're offering one of the things i think is interesting is that they're offering for sale a cd-rom that has uh, the the images available for uh, youth pastors to use, uh, you know, in their handouts and things like that, or to use for their PowerPoint slides, and so it, it seems to me that there I, there may be some value, there may be some worth to a graphic depiction of the stories that took place 
in the book of Exodus and other places. This would be a, it may be a valuable biblical supplement. I don't know though because I haven't really looked at it. I haven't touched it. I haven't seen it. I haven't read it. I don't know. And so Scott, I got to come back to you though and give you props. He said I since I I I no, I'm not sure if it's inherently bad because I don't know how it's all presented. Right. Part of discernment means that we don't judge a book by its cover. You have to actually open it and take a look at it. Now, I got to tell you this. That being said, even if it turns out to be a valuable biblical supplement, if some seeker-driven guy were to actually preach from it as if it's the word of God, oh boy. That crosses the line. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the fault of the people who produced it. It's just the, the lack of discernment on the part of the guy who would do it. All right, we're up on our second break, and when we come back, it is sermon review time. Good stuff that we've got to cover that we're going to be listening to, so you're not going to want to miss that. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there. Pirate Christian. We will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there, and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) 
And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We've got two fantastic sermons for you today. Two Advent sermons preached by the Reverend Bill Swirla, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, Hacienda Heights, California. Cue up the music here. Here at Fighting for the Faith, we are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, like I previously said, comes to us via Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. Pastor William Swirla presiding. Pastor William Swirla, by the way, is one of the co-hosts of the radio program, The God Whisperers. (laughs) That is just a fun program to listen to. (laughs) Let me just put it this way. Any independent fundamentalist KJV-only Baptist out there, oh man, they would not like that show. <laughs> That's all I have to say. It's just entertainment. It's Their tangents are just a scream. He and uh, Pastor Craig D'Onofrio do that program, and it's just a riot. Anyway, we're going to be doing two sermons. Sermon number one is entitled, Prepare the Way... And it's, the text is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and I'll read them for you. And then the second sermon is called Your King Comes to You, and it's based upon Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. So the sermons are Advent 2 and Advent 1. Okay? You're thinking Advent. You know, what's that? Yeah, it's not pre-Christmas. It's, it's, it's really so much more than that. Hang on a second here. I gotta kill the music. <clears throat> Although I love this part. 
All right. Okay, so uh, tell you what, prepare the way is, like I said, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Let me read the gospel text for you, because that's kind of the way things roll in a liturgical uh, Lutheran church, and that is is that the gospel text is actually read prior to uh, the preaching of the sermon. In fact, it's just part of three readings, three biblical readings. Each Sunday, uh, there's usually a uh, an Old Testament reading, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading, and many times the pastor preaches on the gospel text. Sometimes they cheat and they preach off of the Old Testament text or the epistle text. I don't consider that cheating, though. There's some Lutherans who do consider that cheating, but they, they, I don't because, well, it's all God's Word. Anyway, let me read to you the gospel text that forms the basis of the sermon. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry." He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. That is the gospel text that forms the basis of this sermon. Now, as you're listening to it, watch how he handles law and gospel, and watch how he sticks tight to this text. Here is Pastor William Swirla. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Imagine yourselves standing in the wilderness across the Jordan River. You hear a voice calling, shouting from a distance, prepare the way of the Lord. You see a figure approaching, a wild-haired, disheveled, bearded man, his skin Leathered by the sun, his eyes ablaze with prophetic fire. He's dressed like a prophet, straight out of the pages of the Old Testament. Coarse camel's hair and a leather sash around his waist. And if you didn't know better, you'd swear that it was Elijah come back from heaven. You realize that you're standing on the very spot where Elijah had been whisked off to heaven centuries before. And then this strange figure draws even closer with his message, his sermon. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's looking directly at you, pointing a long index finger in your direction. Yes, he means you, religious one. You, pious Israelite. You, believer. 
You, Pharisee, Sadducee, scribe, tax collector, prostitute, sinner, it does not matter who you are or what you are, repent. Are you good? Then repent of your goodness, you're not good enough. Are you bad? Then repent of your badness, you're worse than you even think. Who is this strange man with this funny wilderness macrobiotic diet, grasshoppers and wild honey? What's, about, what's with that? And where did he come from and who sent him? His name is John. He's simply known as John the Baptizer. He's the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, priestly parents, parents who conceived him by the power of the word of God in their old age. They were extraordinarily old when John was born. And he was raised as an orphan in the wilderness. John seems to want nothing whatsoever to do with the temple, even though his parents are priestly. He comes from a priestly tribe, and yet he has no attraction to the temple whatsoever. He really seems to want nothing to do with Jerusalem. His whole business is centered around the waters of the Jordan. He came to baptize, hence his name, John the Baptizer. Baptism was not unknown at the time of John. There is evidence that the wilderness communities where John grew up practiced a form of baptism, ritual washing. You were washed ritually when you became a Jew, an honorary Israelite. It was called proselyte baptism. But you see, that's something that makes John's baptism unique and different. The people that came from Jerusalem and all the region of Judah were not proselytes to Judaism. They were Jews, some of them very religious Jews, practicing Jews, religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees. And you can also see why John's baptism drew a controversy. He was calling all of Israel out of Israel to be washed in the wilderness, implying that they were unclean. They needed to be washed. And he singles out their religious leaders for the harshest of treatments. You brood of vipers, he says, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping With repentance. And don't start jabbering away about how you have Abraham as your father, because God can raise up children for Abraham from these rocks and stones out here in the desert. Repent, you religious types. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I wonder what they thought. Later on, the gospel writers tell us that they thought that John was crazy. He was demon-possessed, they said. What do you think when somebody tells you to repent? I usually associate this kind of preaching with the weird guys with the cardboard sign, you know, standing on the street corner. And you kind of ignore them, don't you? You look the other way. You're kind of embarrassed to even be associated with that language. 
you're quick to point out, well, we're not Christians like that guy over there. <laughs> We'd probably say that of John. We're not believers like that guy over there. And John would look, out, look at us right in the eye and say, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. When we hear those words, repent, we usually think, of what? I'm good. What did I do? Or, hey, you should talk. I'll repent when you do. But, no, that's not the way it works with John. John says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. There's a coming wrath and a coming judgment and a coming fire. And so it's time to repent. John's appearing in the Jordan wilderness marks really the end of the Old Testament. It's the end. The prophet Malachi said that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord to prepare the hearts of the people and to turn them back to God. And so John came in the spirit of the prophet Elijah. He is really the last of the Old Testament prophets. The others pointed to Christ from a distance. John points to Christ right next to him. The time for Israel's redemption had come. The age of the Messiah was about to dawn, and Israel was in desperate need of a bath. We have this impulse, this washing impulse, we all do. You ever notice when something important is about to happen, there's always like a bath or a shower involved, or at least you wash your hands. You know, that's what mom always taught you. Before you come to the table, wash your hands. Or, you know, we're going out to eat tonight. Have you taken a shower? Or we're having a really special party. Did everybody take a bath? See, that was the notion behind, the, behind Jewish proselyte baptism. You were leaving something, your old way of life, your old religious loyalties, everything. And you were starting fresh. You were starting over. You were starting anew. That's what baptism was about. It was a new and fresh start. You were reborn an Israelite. You died as a pagan, and you were reborn an Israelite, and you were cutting off everything that came before, washing it away, and starting fresh and clean. And that's what John was calling Israel to do, to be washed and ready for the coming one. He was calling Israel out of the promised land. He was calling Israel away from Jerusalem. He was calling Israel even away from the temple and its religious institutions back to the wilderness, the place where God shapes and forms his people. The wilderness is the place of repentance. The wilderness is the place where one is dependent on God and nothing else. That's how John lived, dependent solely on God, his his only diet. Locusts, wild honey. He trusted in God even for his daily food. And so Israel is called into kind of a reverse exodus across the Jordan, back into the wilderness. Repent. To repent means to have a change of mind, to think about things in the opposite way. Metanoia, meta, to change, noose, mind, to have a change of mind. It's not about cleaning up your act. It's not about behaving yourself. That's the fruit of repentance, but it's not repentance. Repentance is a complete flip of the mind and the will. The time is at hand. The time is urgent. There is no tomorrow. You do not procrastinate repentance. You do so at the peril of your souls. The kingdom of heaven is near. How near? God's not saying. It's near. Repent. That's how this works. 
Maybe you've noticed a parallel here. John preached a baptism of repentance to prepare for Jesus' first advent, his first coming. And the church preaches a baptism of repentance for Jesus' second appearing in glory. See, there's really no difference. We too are called to repent, to be drowned, to die, to sin, to self, to everything. And then to rise and to live up a new life, to live in Christ, to have Christ as our life. The baptism that you and I received is a different baptism from John's. John's baptism was fulfilled when Jesus stood in the waters of the Jordan. Your baptism is fulfilled in your death and on the last day when Jesus raises the dead. John's baptism was a baptism to prepare for Jesus' first advent. Your baptism is a baptism to prepare for his second advent in power, in glory, when he comes to judge the living and the dead. John's baptism was for that time. Jesus' baptism was for the end times, for all days until the end of the days. John preached Jesus as the promised coming one. It's striking the kind of Jesus that John preaches here. It's really not the one that shows up. (laughs) I kind of wonder about that sometimes. John's Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand, and he has fire of judgment uh, kindled, and he has fiery breath coming out of his mouth, and he's ready to toss the grain into the fiery wind and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire, even as he gathers up his wheat into, into the barn. John's Jesus has an axe already laid to the root, chopping away at the fruitless tree of Israel. Would you want to meet this Jesus on those terms? I don't think so. I wouldn't. We'd be toast. And yet when Jesus finally appears, he appears quite differently. Humble, meek. He submits himself to John's baptism of repentance, even though Jesus actually is the one perfect Jew who has no need to be washed, who has no sins to repent of. Instead of an axe and a winnowing fork, he comes with a cross and a death. Instead of coming in judgment, he comes to be judged. It's no wonder that John had his doubts in prison and he asked if they got the right candidate in Jesus. Do we look for another or, you know, what's it going to be, cousin? Gentle Jesus hardly seemed to fit the bill here. And yet that's precisely the point. Jesus comes as gospel to John's law. Who would have known? Who would have predicted, who would have understood that the acts of God's wrath would be laid against the promised shoot from the stump of Jesse? Who would have known that the fire of God's judgment would be turned against his only begotten son in his passion to save the world? Who would have known that the way of the kingdom of heaven is for the king to die for his subjects and then to rise from the dead? 700 years before John, the prophet Isaiah saw the coming kingdom in the form of a tiny little shoot sprouting from the stump of King David's family tree. And from that sprout, a righteous branch that would bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord would rest upon him and he would judge the world, not by what he sees the world doing, not by what he hears the world saying, but that he would judge the world by his righteousness. 
And he would restore harmony, shalom, peace to the creation so that even the wolf and the lamb, the carnivore and the herbivore could lie down in peace together. Isaiah saw a day when the root of Jesse would become a banner lifted up so high that all the nations could see it. A signal for all the people whose resting place would be glorious. From its humble beginnings to its glorious ending, the sprout become a branch, become a tree. The tree of life from whose fruit the repentant may eat and live forever. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Advent. Repent. Christ is near. The message is the same today in our wilderness as it was 2,000 years ago in John's wilderness. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from your death. Be baptized. Look to Christ the Lamb, lifted up for the sin of the world, lifted up for your life and your salvation. Eat the wilderness food that he gives you. Not locusts and honey. Mm -mm. His body, his blood, for your forgiveness, for your life, and for your salvation. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. He's coming soon. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Whew. Folks, that's how to properly distinguish law and gospel and to placard Christ and him crucified for our sins. Man, is that good. Tell me the story of my Savior again. What a great sermon. I mean, when... When he talks, when he takes the words of John the Baptist, when he talks about the axe is laid to the root, and Pastor Swirla said, who would have ever foreseen that the axe was laid at the root of the one coming of the Messiah? That's right. Jesus dies for your sins, and he calls you to repent. Repent. That really is the true message of Advent. Okay, second sermon is called Your King Comes, and it's taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Let me read. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, You shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciple went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus. 
from Nazareth of Galilee. Here is our next sermon by Pastor Swirla. Your King Comes to You. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. In the name of Jesus. It's the beginning of Advent, the start of the new church year, the time of preparation before Christmas and Epiphany. The word Advent means coming or arrival as the arrival of a king. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is having his advent. Get ready, here he comes. The season of Advent looks both forward and backward. Backward to Jesus' first coming, his first advent in humility. A virgin mother, a manger crib, a home in Nazareth, no place to lay his head. The suffering servant, a cross and a tomb. And Advent also looks forward to Jesus' second coming in glory, the shout from heaven, the archangel's trumpet, the clouds, the judgment, the resurrection, the power, and the glory. And today, in this first Sunday of Advent, we do a little bit of both, a kind of back to the future, a look at Jesus appearing as our king in his kingdom. The Old Testament reading from Isaiah looks forward to the latter days when the mountain of the Lord's house will be lifted up high and it will be exalted, when all the nations will flow into it, when people will say to one another, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And that time that Isaiah saw many centuries ago is now, the time of the church, which is God's holy mountain, exalted and uplifted in Christ her head, as all the nations come to the house of God, the God of Jacob, to be baptized into the greater son of Jacob, to be taught the way of salvation in Jesus. And yet there is a notion of not yet going on here, even though it is all fulfilled in Christ, and even though it speaks of the church. Not yet does Jesus judge between the nations. Not yet do people beat their weapons into farm implements. Nation still rises up against nation. The Koreans are having at it lately. The art of war remains in practice, even though the rules of engagement seem to have changed a little bit. Now is not the time for peace. Now is the time for war and bloodshed and rumors of war and nation against nation. That's now. The peace is not yet. That great mountain that Isaiah saw, which is heavenly Jerusalem, is still hidden under cover of weakness. A church divided, heresies and sects and corruption, hardly the picture of the highest and most glorious of all mountains. It is not yet. Give it time. Be patient. Give it to the end of time and the last days when the time of faith will end and the time of seeing will begin. And then you too will see with your own eyes what God has been up to all along in, with, and under our history. And the sight will be glorious. But that's still not yet. Behold, your king comes to you. 
Did you find it strange to hear the Palm Sunday gospel on this first Sunday in Advent? It really does sound a bit strange. It seems out of context. We think of the start of Holy Week, not the start of the season of Advent in the church year. And yet there is a profound point being made in this traditional reading. And this is the traditional reading for the first Sunday of Advent. You see, the last time Jesus the king was seen riding into his city, it was in humility. A beggar king riding atop a borrowed donkey. It happened to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah had said as he looked forward to see the day of the Messiah king coming to take his throne. And the people that gathered in Jerusalem that day, tossing their coats in the road and tearing branches off the trees to make a royal highway for the king to enter his city, were probably itching for a riot, if not a revolution. The last thing these people expected is what happened at the end of that week when Jesus the king was enthroned on a cross and crucified. Not exactly your idea or my idea of a holy war, is it? But that's exactly what it was. It was the ultimate and the only holy war that mattered. And Jesus the king fought it himself single-handedly. He came to die. He came to lay down his life. He is the king who dies for his subjects. He is the king who rescues them. He is the king who comes to them. You don't come to this king. You don't seek him out. He seeks you out, and he comes to you. And yes, he comes humbly and hiddenly. Not the sort of king you might expect, much less the kind of God you would expect. He comes in the seemingly weak and hidden way of baptismal water, of communion, bread and wine, of absolving words, of the office of the ministry. He comes now as he did then humbly and rejectably. You can turn your back on this king and get away with it, at least for a moment. You can mock him, as many still do, and get away with it, at least for a while. You can spit on him and beat him and appear that nothing will happen to you, at least for now. But don't mistake that humility for weakness. This king's power is perfected in what we call weakness. His victory comes out of what we call defeat. His holy war is won not by killing his enemies, but by dying at the hands of his enemies to save his enemies. Now contrast that with all the wars going on today. Contrast that with all the kings and tyrants of this world. Contrast that with all the jihads and holy wars waged in the name of God. There is no comparison. There is none like King Jesus, and there is no need to look for another king than him. He's the crucified, risen, and reigning one, and one of him is enough for an entire world. Our problem, our problem with this now and not yet business is that we want it all now. We cannot abide the not yet. We want Christmas now, not Advent. The stores are not decorated for Advent. 
They are decorated for Christmas because, by God, we want our Christmas now. We want glory now instead of suffering. We want heaven now instead of the reality of this life. We want everything by sight and not by faith. And when we don't get it our way, we grow impatient, we become distracted, we doubt. And the world, oh, the world, it looks on us and thinks that we're either quaint or crazy. We who believe in the coming day of glory, much the way the cartoon characters in Charles Schulz's Peanuts mocked poor Linus for his watching and waiting for the coming of the great pumpkin. I hope you still know that Peanuts special. They still play that on TV? I don't watch TV. Yes. I know it's old. It was introduced two years after I was born. That's how old it is. But uh, just in case, I'll give you a little plot line here. A little boy named Linus sits in a pumpkin patch every Halloween waiting for the arrival of the great pumpkin who invariably fails to appear. And yet no matter how humiliated and how disappointed and how much his friends and his family mock him, Linus is there every year and he stubbornly vows he will keep his vigil next Halloween for the arrival of the great pumpkin. In our modern world, Advent can seem a lot like that. Waiting for the arrival of a Jesus who never seems to show up. We're like Linus, waiting and watching in childlike faith for someone we have never seen. Someone who has promised one day to appear in glory. And it sounds almost silly when I say it, but remember who said it. These are the words of the one who died and who rose from the dead. These are words heard by sane and rational and skeptical people who heard Jesus and who believed it. And every generation after Jesus has sat in his pumpkin patch, waiting for the coming of the Lord in glory. And Advent comes year after year with that same fervent prayer, stir up your power, O Lord, and come. Advent is a time of patient watching and waiting. Our epistle reading gives us the image of early morning, just before the alarm goes off. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. You open one eye, it's still dark, but there's a hint of light coming through the window from the horizon. You want to roll over and go back to sleep, but the alarm is insistent. It's time to get up. Get ready. Your king is coming to you. Salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Salvation is nearer now than it was at the start of Advent a year ago. So how are we to live as we watch and wait for this day to appear? Well, it depends what you're waiting for, I suppose. What are you waiting for, darkness or light? Are you waiting for condemnation or salvation. You're baptized. You've been clothed with Christ. You have been declared by God to be children of the light and of the day, not the darkness or the night. Drunkenness, immorality, quarreling, jealousy, those things 
just don't befit baptized children of the day. You're clothed with Jesus, with his righteousness, with his holiness. Wear it. Wear that garment of baptism. Forget about the desires of your flesh, your sinful self. Don't indulge it. It's dead, and it means death to you. You are about life and light. And so even as the world lives in darkness and revels in the works of darkness, you have been called to be set apart, to live in the day, even as it is still night, because you know that the dawn has come and the day is not far off. That's the spirit of the season of Advent. It's not about shopping. It's not about parties. It's not about baking Christmas cookies, though there will be plenty of all of that. There are Christmas expectations to live up to, after all. But Advent would set our, uh, set our sights on the horizon, on the rising sun, on the coming king, on the mountain of the Lord about to be shown to be glorious. Behold, your king is coming to you. Get ready. He's coming. Once he came, soon he comes. Once he came by way of a virgin mother, soon he comes with the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven. Once he came by way of the crib and the cross, soon he comes with the glory of heaven. Once he came riding atop a borrowed donkey, soon he comes with clouds descending. Once he came as a beggar king, soon he comes the king of kings. Once he came to die, soon he comes to raise the dead. Once he came in weakness, soon he comes in power. Once he came to be judged, soon he comes to judge. Once he came to save us, soon he comes to give us his salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. <sighs> wow. I, you know, I, you can't add anything to that. You just can't. I, I, wow. That's what it means to preach the gospel, to take a text and to placard Christ. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. Again, this is the stuff that feeds my soul. And I'm sure after listening to it, it fed yours as well. This is what it sounds like when a shepherd, an under-shepherd of our great and good shepherd Jesus Christ, feeds his sheep. This is what it sounds like. This is what it feels like. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to keep bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. Partner with us. If you haven't done so already, this is a good time to do so. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. 
Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what did you think? I would love to get your feedback. You can contact me to send me your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh. <laughs> 